Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 121 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Cannoli Fingers. And I'm joined here by my brazen co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader. He's one of the last of the Mohicans of the now infamous House Street. The man who used to squat six plates, then smoke a cigarette afterwards. The silverback of House Street. JJ, how's it going? Good, brother. How you doing? Very auspicious day today. <laughs> sure is. It sure is. It. Absolutely, man. And our guest today is a former product manager at Facebook and Instagram, a graduate of Wharton and was a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree, chief executive officer of Bitwise Asset Management and co-founder of the five-year-old firm. Bitwise is one of the world's largest and fastest growing crypto specialist asset managers. The firm is known for launching the world's first and largest crypto index fund and pioneering over a dozen investment products crossing $1 billion and assets under management in 2021. It is now home to the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF symbol BITB. Of course, our guest today is Hunter Horsley. Hunter, how's it going, man? What's going on? It's great to be with you, Ray, JJ. Six plates, JJ. How about that? <laughs> that's, uh, that's impressive. I like that. <laughs> That's Ray, would you, would you, how many plate, how many plates you pull off? Oh God, Hunter. Uh, I mean, I could get three. I know, I know, I maxed with three on each side. Um, now are they tens though? Are they tens? Oh, Hunter, come on, man. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Hunter, come on. Why are you gonna do me like that? No, oh, man. no. I had four. The... I, I know in high school I played football in high school. Hunter, forty fives. Okay. We did on the side, but uh, okay. no. JJ's uh, he's a specimen, Hunter. Uh, Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Offensive lineman-esque, former bouncer in Vancouver. Wow. Yeah. Wow. A man of many talents. Hey, yeah, hey. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to have you with us, and, and we're very happy that you're gracing us with your presence. You know, I, I came up through the sewers of the penny stock industry. You went to Wharton, so we're, you know, very appreciative um, that you're with <laughs> us today. <laughs> yeah, but I work I work in crypto now, so, uh, so I spent many years <laughs> as an exile. Uh, <laughs> we've been in the crypto space since, uh, since 2017. So, uh, you know, it's come a long ways, but, um, certainly, certainly not the, the most glamorous uh, space at, at least, uh, for, for several years there. Yeah. Well, it might be changing, you know, since you bring that up Hunter, uh, you know, you, you, you said yourself as like an exile was, uh, did you get like some backlash or people like looking at you sideways when you moved over to the crypto space? Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I when when we when we got going, Bitcoin was maybe around a thousand dollars a coin or two thousand dollars a coin, and um, even even today, of course, people are unsure about it. But back then, uh, you know, I think people were really really uncomfortable with it. You know, people would compare it with um, with trading cannabis stocks, you know, or or you know, pick your pick your um, pick your analogy. There's actually a moment uh, in 2018. So we got started in 2017. Uh, for those who are familiar with the crypto market, historically, it has four-year cycles. The third year of the cycle, it it it, uh, it peaks, hits an all-time high, and then and then usually uh, has consolidation uh, in the fourth year. So 2017 was uh, was sort of an all-time high year of that cycle. Um, touched 18,000, I think, in December of 2017, and we had gotten started, launched the first uh, cryptocurrency index fund that year. Um, but just started the firm. And then in 2018, uh, at max drawdown, Ethereum was down maybe 95%. And the crypto space was not embraced. Uh, you know, the crypto space still has a long way to go, but it's come a, a long distance since then. And I went on um, on Bloomberg television at some point in 2018. And, uh, and the anchor asked me if I would be trying to get my job back at Facebook. Um, so, uh, that was sort of the, the, the state of the regard, uh, that crypto was held in back then. It's, it's come an extraordinary distance, but, um, but yeah, um, was, wasn't the case when we got started. Yeah. Well, well, uh, shout out to you for sticking, sticking with it, sticking your convictions. I'm sure this is a, a good feeling today. Congrats, um, on the approval. Uh, I, I saw you guys, uh, first, well, I don't know if you first applied in 2022, uh, to the SEC, but it got rejected for a spot ETF. 
what what was their reasoning uh the, the SEC for the rejection? Yeah, absolutely. We so we we uh we've been working on a on a Bitcoin ETF actually since since before that. We made our first ETF filing in 2018, our first Bitcoin ETF filing in 2019. Um, had filings rejected twice over the year, have, have met with um, the SEC more times than, than I can count. Um, uh, and while the Bitcoin ETFs have been rejected, we've, we have uh, launched other products. We launched uh, BITW, uh, the largest publicly traded uh, cryptocurrency uh, index uh, product in the US. We launched BITQ, which is a crypto equity product, first Ethereum futures products. But as to the, the Bitcoin ETF journey, uh, the nature of the concerns and the SEC was rightfully wanting to make sure that something like this was was thoroughly diligenced. At first, it was uh, there were a lot of questions around qualified custody. So how the Bitcoin would be held. Uh, there were questions about the size of the market in terms of the liquidity. Uh, there were questions about market manipulation. And uh, over the years, um, that really honed into a, a focal point of a conversation about market manipulation. Um, and so uh, that was the focal point um, uh, in the most recent rejection. Um, and that was the perspective that changed in the approval that took place this week um, was them, them finally saying um, that they were, they were in a place to, to approve it. So, but that, that, that was, uh, those are some of the, the sort of key topics that they were investigating we did hundreds of pages of research for them, um, statistical analysis, review of um, academic publications on the topic. So mm-hmm. it's been it's been a really a really long journey. Yep, excellent. And uh, j- just a, a cool sidebar um, I came across when I was uh, prepping for this, just for the listeners uh, that didn't know, I didn't know. But uh, uh, Naval Robnikant is a founder and a chairman. Naval, Naval, Naval. Pardon. Uh, chairman of Bitwise. That's that, that's pretty cool, man. You've known him for for a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, Naval was uh, was I think the third investor in Bitwise. Um, he's been involved since 2017. I was chatting with him yesterday. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant person. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he's you know he's he's, he's not uh, not not the not the chairman or the, the founder of the company, but. Um, he is the, the chairman and founder of, um, of AngelList, which is another really well-known firm. Um, and he has been really ahead of the curve, I would say, in the crypto space. So we were incredibly excited to um, have him as an investor early on and, um, yeah, an extraordinary individual. Excellent, excellent. And uh, just a um, shout-out to... Uh, sponsors of the podcast any listeners that have the skills to pass an evaluation can become a prop trader fully funded by either apex or top step funding our own micro e-futures trading community has many members who are now fully funded no need to trade their own money keep 90 percent of the profits to learn more go visit our website at micro com. and while we're on a crypto themed episode we also have uh, for years, we've had a cryptocurrency trading channel, which I am heavily involved in personally. So for those of you who are crypto traders or investors, new and experienced, you are welcomed. Um, Hunter, uh, here on Confessions, we like getting to know our guests um, a little bit. And I know, um, you know, went through your previous uh, careers, schoolings, et cetera. But could you just take us on a brief trip on the road traveled um, from you becoming, uh, you know, from, you know, where you started your career to now being CEO and co-founder of Bitwise? Sure. Uh, happy to. Uh, I'm, I'm from California, um, the Bay Area. Went uh, to school uh, at Warden for undergrad. Um, knew that I was very interested in, in uh, business. Um, and uh, I actually uh, dropped out of, of Warden undergrad for two years to be the first employee at an, uh, an ed tech startup, which is an amazing experience. Um, Went back, that company got sold, went back to uh, finish my degree. Um, and then after graduating, went uh, went to Instagram and, and, and Facebook. Um, and from there, left to start Bitwise. And I've, I've been, um, uh, you know, at this point, I think, I think uh, working on Bitwise for maybe seven years now. So uh, my background prior to Bitwise was on the, the technology side as a product manager, so product manager at a tech company, which, you know, many of your audience may be familiar with, works with software engineers, designers, um, and business counterparties, uh, or counterparts, excuse me, to uh, build 
build the actual software, the applications, the the products. Um, and uh, I could talk a little bit about what we saw in crypto that drew us to it. Um, but as it pertains to Bitwise, we've tried to build a firm uh, that is a specialist in the crypto space. And to me, that means you have to combine um, understanding of software when you're investing in Bitcoin, Ethereum. These are open source software projects. And, uh, you know, if you're investing in, in real estate, you might be interested in zoning or in uh, architecture, building materials, you name it. We want to have uh, that type of expertise in software because of this asset class. And then, of course, we, we have people with technology backgrounds, Facebook, Google, Slack, et cetera. And then, of course, asset management backgrounds, um, BlackRock, Millennium, you name it, uh, to sort of create a combined whole that can uh, help investors understand and access the space. So um, that's that's a little bit of the, the DNA of the firm. Um, and, and that's that's uh, that's my story. Today, I, I live in San Francisco and the firm is split. We have an office in San Francisco and an office in, in New York, and we're about 63 people. Cool, cool. And so, yeah, you, you brought up how um, you could like bridge the gap for us. So where did the idea... Well, uh, let, let me let me first start with this. When was the first time you heard about Bitcoin um, in your initial thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I came across it in maybe 2013 or 2014. Um, you know, I, I think it, re- it really got on the radar of a number of people in the in the technology community. Um, and I bought some, but I didn't think much of it. You know, I thought it was an interesting project and, um, bought it, but sort of forgot about it. To be honest, I actually couldn't even remember I bought it. Um, uh, I, I did later find where I had bought it. Um, (laughs) so no, no, no concerns there. Um, but, uh, that's, that's how I encountered it. Just, just, uh, um, the enthusiasm of, of people in tech and, um, and then later, uh, I think that um, there, there, there are a few things that, that believe it or not, um, you know, I think technology people, one of the things that I think is so interesting about, about public blockchains and crypto and Bitcoin is that it's sort of like this prism. And depending on the background of the person, they see different things in it. Sort of a different color comes, comes out of it. You know, I think people with financial backgrounds often see a new alternative asset class, maybe a new currency. They see volatility and low correlations, maybe a new payment rail, um, maybe a new settlement layer. Um, there are people with a more, uh, I would say, philosophical or social perspective on it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's sort of a libertarian perspective. We want less government um, or a distrust for, for, um, for central authorities. And then there's a, a technology perspective on it. And the technology perspective, which is the one that I was originally looking at it from, uh, is that uh, every so often, maybe every decade, you get a new technology platform, a new computing platform. And that that's, computing platform is not a phrase that we use often in day-to-day life, but everyone is familiar with what a computing platform is. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, that was the personal computer. Uh, in the 90s, the internet. Then we got the mobile phone. And then uh, in 2009, Bitcoin was an idea that hatched into a new thing. And I think people would say today that maybe AI is, is, a, is a new platform. Um, and uh, to people who are working in technology, there is a pretty common pattern or journey that, that takes place when a new computing platform is introduced. Um, usually it starts with a new capability. So uh, back in the early days of the PC, uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates said, we're going to put a mainframe in every home in America. Uh, and you'll be able to type on it and save files. And, um, and people said, well, why would people want a mainframe uh, in their home? And the best thing they could come up with was that people would use it for recipes and balancing their checkbook. That was their vision for what the yeah. personal computer would be used for. And everyone was like, well. Yeah, there, there, you know, there you go. And, and, and uh, of course, I'm, I'm drawing a parallel to crypto. You know, the, the first pass that many people have in crypto is great. It has these new capabilities, but what are people going to use it for? Then what needs to happen is uh, you get a demonstration of those capabilities, and then developers have to show up and start building applications of those capabilities, mm-hmm. uh, useful ways of incorporating that into people's everyday lives. And, of course, on the PC, we got spreadsheets. We got email, we got PowerPoint, we got the web browser uh, when the internet rolled around. So um, that then gets a flywheel going where people want to use the new computing platform because of 
the usefulness of the applications and that attracts users and, uh, and then you get a flywheel. The same thing happened with the iPhone. The iPhone came out, I believe, in 2007 and um, pioneered a bunch of new things, but only sold three or three and a half million units in the first year. And I think many people, myself included, had a BlackBerry and said, what do you need a smart, you know, what do you, what do you need this for? Mm-hmm. Um, but it had a GPS, it had a camera, it had a touchscreen, and developers got to work. And over time, you've got Google Maps, which required a GPS and the ability to take it with you uh, to the curbside. It had a camera, which allowed Instagram and Snapchat and the like. Uh, it uh, enabled the ability to do things in commerce like Apple Pay and Venmo and PayPal. Uh, but those things happen over time. Uber, of course. Um, and those, those applications attracted people to the device, which grew the user base of the device, which made it more appealing to developers to build more applications. And then those applications attracted more people to the computing platform. So uh, uh, at risk of, of feeling like we're, we're down on a tangent, uh, to bring it back uh, to, um, to my, uh, my journey with, with crypto, uh, I, I, if you have a, a background in, in tech, you're familiar with this pattern of seeing a new computing platform and uh, knowing that the, the trajectory and journey that that can go on and knowing that if people just complain that the, the new computing platform uh, doesn't have enough applications, that is not necessarily an indication that it won't in the future. Um, uh, what you would need to see is developers coming in to, to do that. And, uh, and so I think a lot of people in tech sometimes have this inexplicable conviction on the space. They're so excited about it, but they can't seem to to, to uh, tell you why or explain to you why they're so excited about it. They're just excited about it. And I think it's that that intuition. So that was one of the things that we saw in it. And, you know, there, there are a few others, but um, uh, it doesn't happen uh, that often. And, and we said if um, uh, it's not guaranteed that that this is what we think it is. But if it is, it would be a very meaningful thing to to um, build a company and, and be a part of uh, of the trajectory of a new of a new platform. That was cool, man. That, that was awesome. You said you said a lot of uh, intriguing, insightful things there. I I, uh, I really like what you said with uh, you know people look at Bitcoin you know through the lenses of what they see out of it and like that overlap of like the I guess the 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 logical, the technical, the financial. financial. I, I, yeah, that that's that's really cool. I know I never thought of it in those terms, and um, I think I kind of like it for all three of those. Uh, yeah, yeah, over- yeah, for different. Different parts resonate with different people. And, and it's also part of what makes the space so confusing, I would say. Sometimes you, if somebody who's looking at it from a technology perspective talks to somebody who's looking at it from a financial perspective, they're talking past each other. You know, they're just talking exactly. about completely different things. Or somebody who's talking about it from a social perspective, a libertarian perspective, talks to somebody, you know, from a, from a technology perspective. Maybe the, the libertarian person hates that venture investors are now are buying crypto assets uh, <laughs> and consolidating ownership. Uh, whereas the technology person says, this is great. This is funding developers and developers build the applications and that gets the flywheel spinning. So it's, I think one of the things that is beautiful about the space, but also creates so much chaos sure. is that uh, depending on the, on the perspective someone is coming from, they sort of see and talk about different things and they're, they're, they're uh, pattern matching to different things mm-hmm. as well. Um, if you can, if you can see all those perspectives like you, Ray, I think that, that there's, there's a lot to, uh, a lot to love, but um but usually people are coming at it from one or two of the perspectives. Sure, sure. Uh, so, so Hunter, uh, I, you know, I had to ask uh, if you had any thoughts or comments or what was going through your head uh, when the, uh, the SEC Twitter uh, got hacked. I guess that's, I guess that's what they're saying. Uh, yeah. So, what was, uh, what were you thinking? Yeah, I, I, we've been in the space for so long now. I mean. You know, 2017 was ICOs. We lived through the, the BitMEX crash in 2020. Of course, all of the developments of 2022. My rule of thumb these days is that whatever the most bizarre thing is, that's the <laughs> thing that will happen. So I was simultaneously, uh, you know, annoyed and in a way existentially unsurprised that the yeah. weirdest thing that I couldn't have possibly imagined uh happened um it seems to just be a recurring theme in this space um so but it was it was uh it's, it was uh it's not just it's not just in crypto and and before people start beating up on crypto let me remind you it was i can't remember exactly what year it was i remember when blackberry because we were talking about blackberries somebody put out a news release that they were going to be acquired after hours and the stock ran like crazy and then later the company came out and said 
um, no, it's not going to happen. It was research in wow. Russia at the time. And, yeah, research in Russia. And after that, nobody heard anything about it. But somebody got to dump a really nice position into that buying. Mm. So, you know, when people say, oh, crypto, crypto this, like I've I've been around equity markets for 30 years and I've seen some pretty crazy things happen. And I bet. So, you know, that let and and of, of course, if you looked at it, you know, a year later, there was no SEC, there's no enforcement actions, there's nothing, there's no FBI investigation into it. It just kind of disappeared. But for a hmm. brief 45 minutes, somebody got really loaded up and they dumped into that buying on the acquisition news. And it was a completely false. I think they had hacked the PR Newswire account for research in motion and put out a, uh, on the wire, you know, hmm. and that's traditional equity stuff. And so, you know, before we start, you know, beating up on Bitcoin people, I think, you know, the older crowd should kind of look in their own backyard. It's not exactly the cleanest backyard. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a that's a good example. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, so uh, I, th I think in December we had on uh, uh, James uh, Seifert. He's been covering this uh uh BTC uh, ETF doing a great job. Shout out to him over at Bloomberg. Um, but just as a refresher uh, here, Hunter, uh, what were some of the specific factors uh, that the SEC was considering um, into their decision? Yeah, yeah. James does a phenomenal job uh, on the Bloomberg ETF intelligence team. Um, I'm a fan. He and Eric Valchunas over there have, have covered it for, for years, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the, the earliest filing for Bitcoin ETF was 10 years ago, and, and Eric Valchunas uh, uh, who works with James uh, uh, tweeted about it. So um, they've done a phenomenal job. And he, in, the, in the weeks leading up, I think it really been on the money. And um, for those who remember this summer, I think they made a call that they expected uh, an approval with maybe 90% odds or something like yeah, that. They, yep. I, th I think that um, they get to take a, a victory lap on that. Um, so uh, the recent, the recent weeks have really been for issuers about addressing feedback from the SEC. So there have been a variety of topics um, in December and November that were, were particularly in focus. So there were the existential topics that I that I mentioned previously, which were, you know, does the SEC even think it's feasible to consider approving these things, which qualified custody, uh, liquidity, market manipulation. Um, on the existential topics, we over the over uh, the the summer of 2023, we saw the SEC start to engage in a way they had never engaged ever before. Uh, and that signaled, I think, to us and other issuers that they may have gotten comfortable with some of those existential topics. And we're now going to do the work, sort of blocking and tackling of evaluating filings. And to make that more concrete, the SEC for many years would not give feedback on S1s. So for mm -hmm. these Bitcoin ETFs, there are two filings. There's a 19B4 and an S1. They're actually overseen by two different divisions of the SEC. The Division of Trading and Markets oversees the 19B4 and the Division of Cor uh, Corporation Finance uh, oversees the S1s. Historically, uh, because the expectation inside the SEC was that trading in markets was not going to be existentially comfortable with the 19B4s, uh, the S1s were not even really looked at. Um, the Division of Corporation Finance said, we're not going to waste our time on these if we know that, that trading in markets um, uh, is not, uh, not going to be comfortable with the 19B4s. And so when, uh, when uh, corporate finance started to engage with the S1s, that signaled to the issuers uh, that something may have changed here. And that they may actually be uh, open or even uh, thinking that an approval is possible. Um, so that 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 was sort of the the uh, the area of focus over the summer, and then getting into the fall, and particularly in November and December, there's a lot of fine-tuned discussions. And the key topics were: um, would the ETFs be cash or in-kind created and redeemed? Um, uh, and uh, how would uh, forks and airdrops be handled? Mm. And how would trading be handled? And of course, a lot of other things. I mean, there were dozens of comments that, that we responded to. But those are some of the key and most interesting ones that involved a lot of, uh, a lot of back and forth. Um, some of that is a little bit in the weeds of how ETF works, uh, ETFs work, excuse me. 
but those those are three of the things that um, that we're absorbing a lot of the dialogue over the past uh, maybe eight or or twelve weeks. Cool, cool. Uh, JJ, um, I know you had some um, uh, some questions behind maybe some of the uh, the mechanics definitely. of this. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a custody clearing settlement guy. That's um, you know that was my my job as a trader to understand the the plumbing underneath the system. And uh, I'm fascinated because, you know, you'd see, I, I've never, you know, full disclosure, I've never traded Bitcoin and because I was not comfortable with custody and clearing and firms going, you know, I didn't know which was the good firm, which is the bad firm. Then you'd see things like FTX and things like that. And so I just kind of stayed away from it now that it's been completely legitimized and you have like, you know, your firm's BlackRock. These people setting stepping in, um, they're not going to get involved in something that's fly by night. So, uh, talk to us a little bit about custody. Now, your custody is is like Fidelity digital assets, and um, yeah, that sort of thing. Sure. I I read that some of the some of the ETFs that are getting fired up now are being the custodies with Coinbase. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy happy to happy to uh, to chat a little about the, the, the custody dimension. So because these are bare instruments, mm -hmm. custody is extremely important. Yeah. And that's different than a, than a security. Um, it's extremely important. Custody has developed a lot over the last few years. When mm -hmm. we got started, it was actually very common even for funds to self-custody, meaning they wow. have a solution maybe with USBs or yep. biometric devices in a bank vault or uh, sharded and, and, and broken up over multiple uh, locations. Um, and if you fast forward to today, the custody landscape is really de developed. So what is, what is the state of play in custody today? Today, in general, uh, on the institutional side, there are, um, a few qualified custodians that are regulated as banks by states with trust charters. Those are Coinbase custody, uh, trust company. That is a subsidiary of Coinbase that is separate from the brokerage regulated they have capital controls they have surprise exams um uh, uh they are the largest bitcoin custodian as 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 you said jj there's fidelity digital assets there is a firm called uh anchorage which actually has a uh a federal a national bank charter they're the only oh, uh nice. digital asset custodian to have an, an occ bank charter yes um uh there's gemini um there is bitgo um, and, uh, I'm sure that I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting one that is embarrassing to forget, but th those are, those are some of the names. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I see the old, uh, you know, the old guys in there, uh, bank of New York, Mellon and Brown brothers, Harriman, you know, um, the, yes. that's, that's interesting. So, yeah. Um, so, and, and, and a lot of the, the traditional custodians have, uh, explored projects to, to introduce digital asset custody. Um, but none of them operate as a digital asset qualified custodian yet today. Their role in the Bitcoin ETFs is as the custodian of the cash uh, okay. and as the transfer agent, the administrator. So we work at Bank of New York Mellon on BITB, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, and they're phenomenal. Um, and they're very forward thinking about the space um, and a great outfit. On the digital asset side uh, of the 11 ETFs, uh, almost all of them use Coinbase Custody Trust Company as the Bitcoin custodian today. Okay. Uh, Fidelity uses its own custodian. Um, and I believe one uses Gemini and one uses uh, BitGo. But the vast majority use Coinbase today. And that could evolve over time. Of course, uh, additional mm -hmm. custodians could be added. But um, but uh, Coinbase is, is definitely the, the, the big winner on the custody side uh, out of the gate here. Right. And, and, and on the trading side, with institutional trading desks, now, you know, Bitcoin's been around for a while, so I'm sure you guys have, you know, familiarized yourself with, you know, the order flow and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about how the trading operations run? I'm fascinated by this stuff because it's a new product. And, you know, as, as someone who's taken companies public, I love new products. So it's, I find this fascinating. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think this is a very, very interesting uh, topic. Uh, of course, I, I probably think everything is interesting as it relates to uh, Bitcoin ETFs. And, and um, uh, so, so maybe uh, just as, as background, uh, 
Ray, I really appreciated your, your introduction. You mentioned that we manage uh, over 15 different uh, investment products today. We manage over a billion dollars of crypto assets. We only do crypto. Um, we have a uh, multi-strategy um, uh, alpha strategy. Uh, we have ETFs. We have private funds. We have separately managed accounts. And I say all of that to say that uh, managing and trading a portfolio of crypto assets is not a new project for us with the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF. We've been doing that for many years, and I'm really proud to have a track record of excellence around that. So uh, to, uh, to talk specifically around the trading with the Bitcoin ETFs, the way the Bitcoin ETFs work is what's called a cash creation. Basically, uh, cash is sent to the trust in order to create new shares. Um, then the portfolio manager of the ETF, the trust, mm-hmm. has to buy Bitcoin with the cash. Mm-hmm. There are generally two, uh, today, two main methodologies, and they're slightly different, that have been uh, described uh, by the different ETFs. One is a methodology that involves uh, over-the-counter trading partners. Uh, the other involves today Coinbase Prime. So Coinbase, this is separate from their custodian. They have a uh, Prime services um, that can uh, execute a trading on your behalf. Um, so uh, in two or three of the products today, uh, they take the cash in and then they execute it through Coinbase Prime. In Many of the others, they have the OTC path where they take the cash in, they go out and get bids from the OTC, from the -the over-the-counter trading Mm -hmm. counterparties um, and execute at the best price. The Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, we have have a lot of relationships from doing this for a long time, um, has the most OTC trading partners um, uh, in uh, 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 signed up um, with uh, uh, accounts in our um, in our S1. Uh, five uh, disclosed in our in our S1, uh, which is the most of any ETF, which allows us to access, you know, as deep of liquidity and prices uh, as possible when we have to go buy Bitcoin for the ETF. And then as a fallback, uh, if we can't execute through the over-the-counter markets, we can we can execute through uh, Coinbase Prime. So so that's the setup for for us. I think it's a very important detail of these products. I think for many people, it's it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some, some real variation between, uh, there, there, for instance, there, there is an ETF trading today. I won't mention it, but that has only one liquidity source. They wow. have an account with one over the counter trading firm and they wow. have to buy their Bitcoin from that firm as it stands in their S1. Um, oh. they can of course add additional relationships. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is, that is materially different than being able to go out to, to, you know, five oh. different trading partners and get Definitely. a best price. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. as as someone who's executed size trades before, you know, Bitcoin's got what only twenty six million, twenty seven million coins. So liquidity, I mean, when you have these big players stepping in with you know large orders, I'm fascinated how the order handling is going to work and how they're going to access liquidity and how you know how do you how do you you know get a cost basis of some size at a decent price without running the market crazy, you know, yeah. um, all of that stuff. And of course, you know, you've got your coders and your algo guys who are way smarter than, you know, than me. But I'm just fascinated by that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our, our portfolio manager here managed uh, a quarter of a trillion dollars at BlackRock. She was there for 20 years. She's managing uh, portfolios here at Bitwise. And we have a, we have a team uh, around, it, uh, around her, of course. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important and serious task. I mean, every basis point matters when you're executing. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to navigate the liquidity. We've we've had to trade through bear and bull markets um, where the liquidity environment can change, um, and uh, and making sure that you have uh, access to as much liquidity as possible is hugely important, as as you're saying, JJ. So um, we're very attentive to that. We think with the Bitwise, you know, I, I think the headline on the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF is that it's the lowest cost ETF in America. It has wow. the lowest management fee. We're very excited about that. Uh, under the hood, I think we've constructed a very robust product here. And sometimes I think those details like the trading um, are less obvious. Um, many people are looking at the ticker, you know, BITB, they're looking at the fee um, and, and not coming through the prospectus. But uh, I'm really proud of um, the underlying construction and, um, and uh, some, of those, some of those features uh, uh, that, that we're discussing, uh, which I think are very, very important to your point, JJ, um, uh, both in general, but also if you have 
moments where you're you need to access a lot of liquidity at once or you're in yeah. a, a market that's under stress well that's that's really cool because now because you know to the end user it's going to be seamless and and that is the product of all your hard work and uh that, yeah. that's that's really cool if uh thank you, you know, thank you i think another thing that is really exciting about bitb um is that again it's it's a it's a publicly traded etf it has a management fee of 20 basis points and we're, we're raving the, the fee for the first six months up to the first billion. Nice. Uh, even, even for someone who wants, who, who wants to trade, maybe they're not a buy and hold investor. There's somebody who wants mm-hmm. to, to take views, put on positions. You can access all of those features, you know, us navigating the best prices in OTC desks, uh, us uh, getting audits done by KPMG, us, us uh, um, having the best qualified custodian. You can sort of, uh, Take advantage of all of that robustness um, and trade Bitcoin, um, I think, extremely conveniently versus, you know, I think for, for many traders, historically, they felt they have to open a Coinbase account or they have to open a Kraken account mm-hmm. or they have to open, you know, one of these others. But but with with ETFs that have um, spot Bitcoin under the hood uh, and a management fee like 20 basis points, I think that there are a lot of merits to, to using using that that instrument um uh so i i think i think it's very exciting from that perspective as well more That's people can take advantage guy. of this yeah. uh, you know it, hey if you ever need an executing trader i'm your guy i'll throw my hat mm. in the room <laughs> yeah you, you know right on you know it was, it was cool too matt like the the fees is significantly less than a few of the others i know i was i was looking at um because i think there's about i think 11 um etfs approved i believe right 11 yeah that's exactly yeah that's that's exactly right that, the, the highest fee it, it was is fascinating to watch i mean issuers changed their fees i think three or four times um before they finally launched um and uh the highest fee today is 150 basis points which is yes. um wow. okay. you know that that's that's six maybe six seven times more than our fee for a very similar uh instrument that you're getting so um there's there's quite a range uh on the ends of the spectrum and then there's you know with 11 insurers there's almost every point in between yeah. um so it was fascinating to 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 watch um different insurers make different decisions on that and i i think the uh the other cool feature um that i saw that you guys are doing uh you know especially for people who believe in uh bitcoin and, and believe in uh you know um you know maybe go back to like the, the ideology of it that you guys are donating 10 percent of the profits um of the ETF to open source development. Do you want, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Th- th- thanks for mentioning that. You know, I think this is one of those things that matters to some people and is, is a snooze fest for other people. Um, you know, I mentioned before that we're trying to build a specialist for the space. And that means both understanding asset management, capital markets, fiduciary responsibilities inside and out to the utmost degree. Uh, but also understanding the underlying ecosystem of developers uh, and open source software. Uh, our view was if Bitcoin ETFs are going to be very successful, then the people who are building Bitcoin should also benefit from that. Um, that's good for our clients. If we have clients who are investing in Bitcoin, they want Bitcoin to be successful. And a component of that is making sure the developers continue to maintain it and enhance it. So we wanted to, to create, a, a, you know, the best product for the space. And, um, and there are these uh, uh, organizations that help find the developers doing the most meaningful work and valuable work and help fund that. But they have trouble uh, sometimes. Uh, maybe trouble is not the right word, but they need to raise funding in order to fund those. You know, Bitcoin doesn't pay salaries to anyone. Um, so if you want a developer to do work, somebody's got to pay that bill. Um, and... Uh, and so we can contribute to that in this way. And, and an investor in BITB is, is through, through that feature, um, helping, you know, uh, facilitate the, the hygiene of the space. Now it's important that we're also the lowest cost product. So I don't want to convey that we have some, you know, really high fee and, and that's going into the pocket of developers and we could have offered a lower fee. We're offering the lowest fee of any Bitcoin ETF. Um, but we also have this mechanic uh, that that benefits developers, which I think is a um, is a fantastic thing. So that, that, that's uh, OpenSats, Brinks, and Human Rights Foundation. For uh, those who are familiar with the open source development uh, community, um, we've committed to donating ten percent of, of our profits from the ETF uh, to uh, to those organizations for the next ten years. 
Yeah. Excellent. That's awesome, man. That's um, yeah, it's a real neat thing that you guys are doing. Um, I wanted Thank to, you. um, I want, I want to, re- I'm sorry, JJ, do you have something else? No, nope, no. Nope. Go oh, ahead. Okay. All right. Uh, I thought, um, this would be an interesting note for, uh, for the listeners. Um, they might find this intriguing. Uh, so the, this quote I'm going to read Hunter, it's from, uh, your guys, uh, CIO, uh, Matt, uh, Ho- Hogan is, am I pronouncing it correct? Yeah, exactly. okay, Hogan. Yep. Matt Hogan. Um, uh, he says, if you want to gauge where crypto is going, you need to talk to the professionals who control roughly half the wealth in America. Uh, the big takeaway from these advisors this year is that for all the hoopla surrounding the potential approval, well, the now approval of the spot uh, Bitcoin ETF, it doesn't appear to be priced in. Uh, there's obviously there was a lot of talk prior to this, you know, uh, is it priced in? Is it not? Um I was kind of thinking it was, but it seems that you guys are uh, of a different mind here. Do you just want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, we, we, do, we do a survey of uh, financial advisors uh, every year. Advisors in the U.S. manage something like 20 or $30 trillion. And we serve thousands of them across the country um, and really enjoy that and, and feel grateful for the opportunity to do that. Uh, advisors, uh, we just completed our most recent survey. 88% of advisors said that they were waiting to invest in Bitcoin and crypto until there was a Bitcoin ETF. That's just one market participant group. Um, and if you just take that segment of the market, and those are some of the biggest users of ETFs. Um, uh, it's just impossible, impossible to, to, um, to view Bitcoin as having priced in the potential flows from uh, from a constituent set of that size. And that's to say nothing of the fact that Bitcoin ETFs are very helpful for retirement account, your IRAs. Um, they can be used in IRAs. They can, uh, of course, also be used by traders and, and institutional um, investors. So that's where that, that point of view is coming from. Uh, even though to some people who've been following crypto for a long time, it can feel like it's been around, the price is higher. But in, in reality, it's, it's a puny space still. I mean, it's worth mm-hmm. less than... Microsoft by a factor of two or three, and that's just one stock in the U.S. equity market. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there, there are tens of trillions of dollars that have been interested in the crypto space, but they are busy or they're not able to download an app or create an account on an, uh, an exchange. They want the same uh, instrument or mechanism that they use for every other asset class for trading it or taking a long exposure. Um, and they've been waiting for that to show up, and it's showing up now with a with a uh, with a Bitcoin ETF. Um, now, I will say, uh, I don't expect you know you hear a lot of different perspectives, and I, I don't mean to suggest that that uh, um, that uh, I'm omniscient or have have um, full knowledge of how things will go. But I don't expect that this uh, these investors for whom a Bitcoin ETF is really enabling, I don't expect they're all going to invest in the first three hours of it existing. <laughs> Not everyone who buys a stock after a company goes public um, buy it within the first three hours. Uh, busy people uh, have a lot going on, um, have investment committees, have client meetings. They're not going to cancel all that and say, we just need to figure out if we're going to buy a little bit of a Bitcoin ETF. So I don't think that, that it'll that those flows and allocations will, will all come into the market in 24 hours. Um, and and uh, But I think it's a very sizable... Uh, constituent that now has a way of participating that didn't before, um, and um, and I think I think that it's it's not priced in as as Matt said. Yeah, that's all. That's awesome. Yeah, Hunter. I think you know you know obviously trading podcasts where traders. Uh, one of my <laughs> um, favorite, I, I guess, adages you could say is uh, you know it doesn't matter how much something's up, right? Like I know people want to be like, oh well, Bitcoin's been around, it's been up so much you know, how far can it possibly go? I mean, it's as simple as like, if there's more buyers than sellers, like we could just keep this real simple, right? Like more buyers than sellers. Um, yeah, I think that's all I think that matters. With an, with, yeah. Yeah. With, with, with an asset, with an asset like Bitcoin, where you have, uh, a, you know, a relatively finite supply, um, demand supply is, is yeah. what produces price. And uh, you have a, a number of reasons to, to uh, contemplate that demand can be going up. And then you know that supply is going down because with the Bitcoin having the amount of new Bitcoin uh, that is minted uh, is cutting in half uh, in the spring. Um, so supply is going down. Uh, there are a variety of reasons to believe that demand is going up. And I think that that is, you know, sometimes Matt likes to say, sometimes investing is complicated and sometimes it's simple. 
Um, exactly. And in the, in the case of Bitcoin, I think if you if you believe in that setup, um, you know, hard to know how things will move in any given day. Uh, but structurally, you have this setup uh, for for uh, a great opportunity for for Bitcoin. I let me just hop in really there because I mean I'm I'm a float guy and uh, I mean you you look at Apple, it's got 15.5 billion shares in the float. Bitcoin's only got 26 million units. Um, and and with all this money sitting on the sidelines, buying begets buying, um, you know. And as as you said, investment is made by committee now. It's not like some cowboy sitting there. Let let's get on the bid. They're you know they they their analysts take time. We're just coming back from the end of the year. A lot of people still haven't even sat down with their pods and you know started making investment decisions. So you know I I think. You know, I'm looking at this going, oh, man, these guys, you know, the, the early adopters, you know, who have got a nice cost basis, they're, they're going to be in for a nice run. Yeah, I, I, think, I think just to give an anecdote to, to what you're saying there, JJ, we have a number of clients. We, we, we have um, tens of thousands of clients across the country, uh, thousands mm-hmm. of, of wealth management uh, firms, RAs, um, family offices, institutional investors. You know, there are some of those uh, clients that are extremely excited about and interested in a Bitcoin mm-hmm. ETF. So they set up a meeting in three weeks to talk about it. Exactly. You know, that that is what what sort of urgency and highly prioritized looks like in terms of time frame. So I think you're you're exactly right there where this is a structural uh, improvement, but it's not something that's just going to play out in 24 hours. And I would also note that that if you look at as as an analogy, the gold ETFs. Um, you know, the gold ETF was transformative uh, for the gold space. It went on a, mm-hmm. a 10-year bull run after the gold ETF launched and opened up access mm-hmm. uh, broadly. Um, but in the first in the first year, I believe it raised something like a billion or $2 billion. And that was an extraordinary year. And the yeah. next year, I think it was two, three, or four, and then three, four, or five. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that Bitcoin will be exactly like gold. We, 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 you know, we live at a, a, a different time than 2003 now. Um, but what I am saying is, um, you know, uh, it doesn't require that a hundred billion dollars show up in the first 24 yeah. hours for, for, um, what we're saying here to be true. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic and, and that's based on both studying history, but also, uh, just what we hear from clients and understand from, uh, the, the, the people we partner, partner with and serve. Yeah. And money managers are conservative. So this gives it a lot of validity because they've got the clearing, the custody, the settlement, that's all wrapped up now. And so the level of confidence is there um, that wasn't before. And, you know, because, you know, money managers aren't paid to be cowboys. They're paid to be custodian, you know, custody, um, custodians of people's assets, you know, pension, things like that. So now that that's been legitimized, um, you know, look out. I, I'm, I'm really, uh, really excited about, it. I love new product. And uh, mm. this, this is, this is very cool stuff. That's the that's the finance okay. that's the finance lens right there, Hunter. Yeah, just product. <laughs> yeah. I, I love you know you know what that's what we do. We wrap things up in shiny packages and sell it to people, right? And uh, this is a very shiny package. Yeah, yeah, Hunter. Really appreciate your time, man. I just got a few miscellaneous crypto questions. You can a- answer them quickly. Um, uh, just really appreciate you being gracious with your time, especially on the day of the approval, man. It's it's been great. Been really enjoying mm-hmm. talking to you. Um. So Bitwise, you guys provide exposure to NFTs, um, you know, and as someone who is uh, very interested, you know, I own a few NFTs. I'm, I'm curious to how your guys' NFT exposure is done. Yeah, we have a, we have a, a Bitwise Blue Chip NFT Index Fund. Uh, this is a private fund. It's not an ETF. Uh, we constructed an index. And what it's seeking to do is for an investor who says, um, I think NFTs are interesting, either uh, just strictly from a, from uh, an exposure perspective, a beta perspective, or um, uh, you know, I, I think I think that there's a new cultural asset that's emerging here um, in the digital realm. Uh, in the same way that you have, you know, uh, artwork from the Renaissance era, you have you have Warhols, and and um, and uh, some people view NFTs as as sort of a, a similar type of asset. Uh, we want people to have a way to to take that exposure if they want to, and that's generally what Bitwise does, and why we have 15 products is to help people take the exposure in the space that they want to. Uh, to construct that index, um, we have to evaluate a lot of things with NFTs because this is not like publicly traded equities. Mm-hmm. We have to evaluate 
um, liquidity, if there's sufficient supply, oftentimes NFT collections will be, you know, just a few thousand units yeah. and pieces. Um, uh, where is trading happening? Is there enough liquidity? Um, we will look at uh, sort of the, the what's called the floor price, the mid, midpoint price. So, you know, if you think about real estate in Manhattan, we're not looking at the, the, you know, the penthouse on Central Park. We're looking for the sort of the, the median uh, inventory uh, that has the most um, most volume. Uh, and then we weighted by market cap um, and we rebalance it, I believe, for that fund on a, on a quarterly basis um, and then monitor, monitor the assets on an ongoing basis. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the liquidity for sure can be uh, a tough thing with NFTs. Um, but uh, the interesting Absolutely. space. I really, I really love it. Um, I, I really, I really enjoyed reading um article you guys published on uh, the 10 predictions for 2024. Um, I just wanted to, to bring up a couple of them uh, that I thought were interesting. Um, the uh, so what you guys call like a, the killer app um prediction markets. You, you guys are thinking more than 100 million will be staked in prediction markets. I know the prediction markets in crypto have been around for, man, I want to at least say 2017, maybe 18-ish, if I'm remembering correctly. So why, why do you guys think this is the year? Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, as an aside, Ray and JJ, I'll, I'll have to run in, in about a minute here, actually. So yep, yep. I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, but have, have a meeting in the hour. Um, uh, very briefly on, on prediction markets, um, uh, there's a lot happening in the world. People want to take views on things like if Millet will uh, win the presidential election, there's a presidential election coming up in the U.S. There are a lot of geopolitical events taking place um, there. The financial markets, the futures markets are a great sort of uh, prediction market for uh, for markets themselves because people are staking their dollars against their view and it helps you predict rates. It helps you predict a lot of things. Um, and our viewpoint is uh uh blockchains allow you to set up prediction markets for a whole range of long tail uh topics that people want to take views on um and as people are increasingly uh being familiar with crypto assets and how to use these public blockchain applications um and as the world continues to have a lot of sort of this long tail of topics um that that will be uh sort of a unique application that is uniquely useful relative to anything else um and so that's where that, that prediction comes from. Awesome. Excellent. And so that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the episode, you can please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join professional and supportive community traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Hunter, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and anything else you want them to know. Uh, Bitwiseinvestments.com is our website. BITB, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, is our new ETF. And I'm H. Horsley on uh, Twitter. And it was great uh, great being with you, Ray and JJ. It Thank was awesome, so man. Thank you so much. So for Hunter Horsley, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, though. So.